0: Hello, and welcome to the second episode of Designated, a Herbert Smith Freehills podcast series on sanctions law. My name is Jonathan Cross, counsel in the New York office of Herbert Smith Freehills. I am joined by my colleague Brittany Crosby-Bagnay, an associate at Herbert Smith Freehills, and our special guest, Dan Hudson, a partner in our London office in the Corporate Crime and Investigations Group. In this podcast series, we will discuss the latest developments in the fast-changing world of sanctions law. We will also be doing a deep dive each episode to discuss a particular sanctions related topic or event in this episode we will discuss the history of the iran sanctions program under the iranian nuclear deal known as the joint comprehensive plan of action we will also analyze the mechanisms by which sanctions were reimposed when the united states left the joint comprehensive plan of action uh, during the trump administration These considerations offer insight as to the categories of sanctions that the U.S. could lift pursuant to any new agreement to to reenter the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. Now, as you may recall, the U.S. maintained extensive and continually escalating sanctions against Iran until 2015, when the U.S. and Iran entered into an agreement to restrain Iran's development of nuclear technology in exchange for a partial lifting of U.S. and international sanctions against Iran. And I think we we then know how how that story ended or or, or went subsequently, which is that under the Trump administration, after a period of a year or so of considering what to do, the Trump administration withdrew from the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action and reimposed the sanctions that had been lifted. Uh, Iran uh, then uh, began enriching uranium and engaging in activities that were not permitted by the terms of the deal, uh, citing the U.S. failure to abide by the sanctions relief. And so now uh, with a new administration, the Biden administration, which has expressed an interest in returning the U.S. to the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, negotiations are underway uh, between uh, the U.S., Iran and other parties concerning the terms of a potential resumption of the deal. But as we'll see, what the details of a U.S. reentry into the JCPOA would look like is not entirely clear because, as others have said, uh, you never step into the same river twice both the facts on the ground and also the shape of U.S. sanctions uh, with respect to Iran have changed fundamentally since the JCPOA was entered into. And so there are a number of issues that that I would imagine are being negotiated or would need to be negotiated regarding how to treat and how to deal with, for example, new sanctions imposed after the JCPOA and what the status of those will be and whether those would be included in any deal. Uh, And so in understanding what renewed us participation in the jcpoa could look like it's important to review the history of the deal of how it came to be and what its original terms were and then what's happened since and so with apologies for for a bit of a deep dive on this i'm going to walk through the outline of the deal and the subsequent sanctions developments that that now may be addressed in negotiations the jcpoa process began in 2013 when the joint plan of action was executed between Iran, the US, China, France, Germany, Russia, the UK, and the EU. The JPOA was a precursor deal to the JCPOA. It was a temporary agreement that provided very limited sanctions relief in exchange for very short-term limits on the Iranian nuclear program, while the terms of a final agreement were being negotiated. Uh, And so between November of 2013 and July of 2015, The Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, uh, the JCPOA, was negotiated between the same parties, and the JCPOA was executed on July 14th of 2015. The JCPOA contemplated a, a process where there was an implementation day in, I believe, 2016, when when the provisions were fully implemented. And in broad outlines, what happened is that the United States lifted most, but not all, secondary sanctions with respect to Iran. So these were sanctions uh, which involved threats against third parties, against non-American companies and individuals, that if you do certain types of business with Iran, you may yourself be sanctioned. So those secondary sanctions were lifted. A number of U.S. sanctions remained in place. That limited sanctions relief was implemented following the signing of the JCPOA. In 2016, the Trump administration was elected and throughout 2017, it was a live topic, what the Trump administration would do with the JCPOA. And there was a a significant internal difference of opinion within the administration as to whether to leave the deal, attempt to renegotiate the deal or remain in the deal. In March of 2018, the Trump administration withdrew from the JCPOA The Trump administration then attempted to trigger a dispute procedure under the JCPOA to elevate to the UN Security Council the question of whether the deal should, in essence, be declared ineffective entirely. The other state participants in the JCPOA took the position that because the U.S. had left the deal, it was not entitled to invoke the dispute resolution procedures. And the U.S. then reimposed uh, all of the sanctions called for under the JCPOA and, as we'll see, added a number of new categories of sanctions. Following the election of President Joe Biden, the Biden administration uh, came into office with an announced intention to to re-enter the JCPOA and invited Iran to rejoin talks to restore the JCPOA sanctions relief, in essence, in exchange for an Iranian resumption of compliance with the deal's limits on Iranian nuclear activity. And in April of this year, uh, the U.S. and Iran agreed to participate in discussions in Vienna To attempt to revive the deal. There have been several rounds of those negotiations, and in terms of substantive statements of the participants, a senior State Department official in April, who did participate in those Vienna discussions, stated that, quote, our view is that all sanctions that are inconsistent with the JCPOA and inconsistent with the benefits that Iran expects from the JCPOA, we are prepared to lift those if Iran comes back into compliance with its obligations. And so that's been the basic U.S. position. Full resumption of Iranian compliance uh, could lead or should lead to a full resumption of of sanctions relief contemplated. However, the negotiations have hit a potential stumbling block in that uh, Iran has elected a new uh, president who may take a different attitude about the resumption of Iran's participation in the deal. There had been hopes uh, earlier in the summer that the terms of a return to the JCPOA could be agreed before Iran's new president, Ibrahim Raisi, took office. And there were a number of reports that the parties had been working to that outcome. Uh, in fact, this did not occur. The departing Iranian government appears to have taken the view that it lacked the authority or the ability to complete the negotiations before the Iranian presidential transition. And so Mr. Racy has taken office, uh, he's widely viewed as a relative hardliner and is currently in the process, according to press reports, of assembling a new team to resume potentially negotiations in Vienna concerning these issues. One potential stumbling block appears to be an Iranian suggestion that the US should agree in some binding way not to withdraw from the JCPOA again for some period of time, potentially the remainder of the Biden administration, Uh, and reportedly the United States is is not eager or willing to offer a commitment of that type. And in addition, uh, while there has been very thin press reporting, there would be a number of issues that would need to be agreed regarding uh, how to treat uh, categories of sanctions whose status is not clear in terms of whether they are part of the sanctions that were reimposed under the JCPOA or have some independent basis. So, To provide some context to where all this might lead, we'll discuss what are the sanctions, first of all, that the U.S. agreed to lift pursuant to the JCPOA? What was the nature of the deal in terms of sanctions relief? And the important principle to understand is that the JCPOA only ever offered limited sanctions relief in exchange for limited Iranian concessions, meaning Its intended architecture was that the sanctions that were imposed due to the Iranian nuclear program, and only those sanctions, were lifted in exchange for Iran agreeing to limits on the nuclear program. There were and have continued to be a number of other issues in the U.S.-Iran relationship which have led to sanctions, including... Uh, Matters related to, uh, uh, for example, Yemen, matters related to Hezbollah, matters related to terrorism, matters related to human rights in Iran. But the JCPOA, as originally designed, contemplated that those issues would be put to the side, those sanctions would remain in effect. Iran wouldn't make agreements concerning its conduct in those areas, at least explicitly, but would get instead only nuclear sanctions relief in exchange for nuclear concessions. Um, And so uh, the negotiators had to draw a distinction between what were the nuclear sanctions and what were the non-nuclear sanctions. And so in general, only the sanctions which were imposed due to the nuclear program were lifted. Now, this kept many U.S. sanctions against Iran intact, including very critically the embargo, which generally prohibited and prohibits U.S. persons from doing virtually any business with respect to Iran. And so, the primary sanctions against Iran applicable to U.S. persons remained in effect and remained very broad. But the U.S. lifted secondary sanctions. In other words, sanctions which involve a threat of imposing sanctions against non-U.S. persons who do these types of business with Iran. The U.S. lifted secondary sanctions in the following areas. Uh, a range of financial and banking-related sanctions were lifted. Insurance sector sanctions were lifted. Um, A number of sanctions related to the energy and petrochemical sectors were lifted. Uh, Sanctions related to the shipping and shipbuilding sectors and with respect to a number of port operators in Iran. Uh, Sectoral sanctions related to gold, precious metals, software, industrial metals, the automotive sector, all of these were lifted. And in addition, uh, there was a very large number of de-designations of uh, SDNs, parties designated by OFAC as sanctioned persons or companies, who were uh, designated in the first place for reasons relating to the nuclear program. And these SDNs were removed from the SDN list. They were placed on a different list, which reflected that only US persons were prohibited from doing business with these parties. So the secondary sanctions threat, uh, whereby the US was telling the rest of the world, if you do significant business with these people, that could be secondarily sanctionable, that was eliminated. And so that core list of sanctions that were lifted pursuant to the JCPOA is a pretty good starting point in terms of what a reentry is likely to look like. We likely would agree to lift those categories of sanctions again if the U.S. does agree to re-enter the JCPOA.
1: Given that the JCPOA did not lift all of the U.S. sanctions against Iran, do you believe that the sanctions that were relaxed had a practical impact on non-U.S. businesses with respect to conducting business in Iran?
0: There was some practical effect, I think, during the JCPOA period, there was definitely a fair degree of interest by lots of multinational companies in exploring, okay, what, you know, to what extent, if any, is it now permissible to re-engage with Iran? Most companies had had company-wide policies of no, no dealings with Iran before the JCPOA. But I would say most companies were pretty cautious. They maybe dipped a toe in the water or thought about dipping a toe in the water, but they were very attentive to, is the deal politically stable for the long term? And I did, during that period, often get the question, you know, could the deal be revoked by a subsequent administration? So I think there was definitely an increase in trade with Iran uh, once the deal took effect, but I think a lot of things remained on the sidelines pending clarity and confidence that this reflected a new fundamental long-term direction in U.S.-Iran relations, which of course it turned out not to. Uh, But there were a variety of sanctions against Iran that were outside the scope of the JCPOA, uh, and which had a very, very big impact on continuing to restrain trade with Iran uh, during the the term of the deal. Uh, As noted, the the trade embargo uh, remained in effect, Um, so it generally remained illegal for U.S. companies to do most types of business with Iran. There there were really no export control implications of the JCPOA, and the export of uh, goods or services from the U.S. to Iran continued to be generally prohibited. Um, Most of the designation authorities allowing OFAC to designate uh, persons and companies in Iran remained in effect. Prohibitions on um, correspondent or payable through accounts remained in effect. Prohibitions on what were called U-turn transactions, where U.S. dollars are cleared through the U.S. in support of trade with Iran involving non-U.S. persons, that remained in effect. Uh, a number of non-proliferation related sanctions and, and sanctions related to terrorism concerns remained in effect. Uh, and so. Uh, As is the case with what is likely to be lifted, uh, sanctions uh, which have been imposed uh, or or continued uh, which fall into those categories are very likely to remain in effect, regardless of whether the U.S. does agree to reenter the JCPOA. Now, the more complicated category uh, consists of a a whole raft of sanctions which were imposed uh, with respect to Iran after President Trump withdrew from the JCPOA in 2018. So, these sanctions were never accounted for in the deal in the first place because they hadn't been in effect when the deal was struck. And uh, it's not clear, it's not obvious as a legal matter uh, how these sanctions would be treated. I think that's going to be a matter for negotiation in Vienna. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll summarize them briefly and offer uh, a very tentative view as to what category they might or might be likely to fall into. Uh, in August of 2018, President Trump issued an executive order. Um, which uh, reimposed a variety of sanctions, uh, which have been lifted under the JCPOA. Uh, those are th- those are likely to be lifted again. There was a second raft of um, sanctions reimposed in November of 2018, uh, and these, in general, also involve the reimposition of sanctions lifted under the JCPOA. So, the, the, so those sanctions would likely be lifted again in a resumption of the deal. Um, Now, in May of 2019, President Trump imposed sanctions on new sectors of the Iranian economy, iron, steel, aluminum, and copper. And these sanctions permit the sanctions designation of any foreign person operating in those sectors of the Iranian economy. Uh, It's unclear whether uh, those would be viewed as nuclear-related or non-nuclear-related sanctions, um, but we would, yeah. Uh, you know, I would envision that uh, most likely Iran would would not be willing to to, to reenter the deal um, without without those very broad uh, new sanctions being lifted. Uh, in June of 2019, uh, President Trump uh, issued an executive order which imposed sanctions on the supreme leader of Iran, the supreme leader's office, and the Iranian Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. Uh, It's unclear whether uh, those sanctions would be impacted by any resumption of the nuclear deal. Uh, I tend to think they would not. Um, In January of 2020, uh, President Trump issued a further executive order which uh, imposed secondary sanctions uh, with respect to non-U.S. persons engaged in significant transactions or material support for uh, a new set of sectors of the Iranian economy, including construction mining, manufacturing, and the textile sector. Uh, these are very, very broad sectoral sanctions. The manufacturing of anything, the construction of essentially anything um, uh, is secondarily sanctionable. And um, I would uh, uh, imagine that it's quite possible that, that uh, a lifting of those restrictions would be included in any in any new uh, or in any resumption of, of US participation in the JCPOA although that would remain to be, of course, negotiated. Um, There were, uh, in addition, sanctions imposed by President Trump in September of 2020 related to conventional arms proliferation. Uh, It's unlikely, it seems to me, that that would be viewed as within the scope of any resumption of the deal, because those sanctions were expressly not related to the nuclear program. Um, In uh, October of 2020, uh, secondary sanctions were imposed on uh, transactions involving the financial sector of the Iranian economy, and 18 major uh, Iranian banks were added to the SDN list. Uh, it's unclear what would happen with respect to those restrictions, although um, I, I would envision that that, uh, that Iran would want them lifted. Um, and then in October, uh, uh, also in October of 2020, um, on October 26th of 2020, a number of Iranian government entities were uh, redesignated as blocked persons on, on the basis of uh, allegations of supporting terrorism. Uh, it's unlikely, it seems to me, that those designations would be affected by any resumption of the deal.
1: If the U.S. ultimately re entered the JCPOA, do you think there is a particular executive order or a particular set of sanctions that the U.S. would likely seek to reverse first?
0: I, I don't think it would be a matter of of, of reversing anything first. I, I think that any renewed US participation in the JCPOA would have all of its terms agreed at the outset. Now, there might be phased implementation. Um, and we saw that um, in, in terms of, of, of to some extent, the implementation of the original JCPOA and then the Trump administration on exit phased certain sanctions. But I think it's difficult to to, to predict what would be lifted first. Um, uh, it really depends on uh, whether there's a desire to, for example, condition uh, full implementation of the sanctions relief on a period of time when Iran has verifiably uh, uh, brought its activities back in compliance with the JCPOA and what provisions negotiators view as appropriate uh, incentives um, to uh, phase and delay in order to achieve that result. But it, it's from a sanctions legal perspective, it, it's really hard to draw a line in terms of what would be likely lifted first or second. But I think it would be clear from the outset what all of the eventual envisioned terms would be. Um, and so, uh, having summarized uh, the, the nuts and bolts of what the sanctions uh, entailed and what their removal might involve, um, th- this is a very big set of issues for companies outside the U.S who Who may face secondary sanctions risk, but also have local law uh, requirements that they that they have to comply with in particular with respect to the EU and the UK. And so to discuss those issues, I have my colleague Dan Hudson, um our guest for for, for this episode, who will discuss the the EU and UK perspective with respect to any potential resumption of the nuclear deal. Dan?
2: Thanks, Jonathan. um so yeah, as as you've uh, intimated as, as part of the JcpoA, the EU, and, of course, the UK, whilst it was still part of the EU, uh, repealed the vast majority of uh, Iran sanctions instruments that the EU had promulgated to implement uh, UN sanctions in relation to Iran's nuclear programme. Uh, the, the EU sanctions targeting human rights uh, issues in Iran are still in place, but the, the, so the vast majority of the uh, sanctions um, focusing on the nuclear programme uh, have have fallen away from an EU point of view. The UK, broadly speaking, has replicated the EU sanctions regimes post-Brexit. So even though the opportunity exists for a divergence over time with the EU regimes uh, at present, the UK's um, stance, legal stance towards Iran, as far as sanctions are concerned, is aligned with the EU. So uh, so following the US withdrawal from the JCPOA, the EU dusted off its 1996 blocking statute, which, for example, already made it unlawful for EU persons and companies to comply with US sanction laws in relation to, for example, Cuba, where such compliance was driven out of a concern over the imposition upon them of the US secondary sanctions and the eu extended such restrictions and related protections in relation to the us uh, iran sanctions regime as it applied to non us persons in the eu so thereafter the eu persons have been prohibited from complying with the spe- with specified us iran sanctions laws for example, the restrictions relating to Iranian SDNs, and are afforded protection to within the EU to the extent that public or private bodies seeking to enforce the US restrictions um, are actually trying to do so. They so they actually they they get protection under law uh, uh, against anyone seeking to enforce the US relevant US restrictions upon persons in the EU. So the, the EU, which is still committed to limiting the impact of extraterritorial laws, such as uh, US sanctions laws in relation to Iran, is currently carrying out a review and impact assessment as to the effectiveness of its blocking statute, which so far has only had a very limited track record of criminal enforcement and only uh, in respect of uh, the uh, sanctions in relation to Cuba, and not in relation to Iranian sanctions. Uh, it's also considering whether to repeal or update the blocking statute, with the stated aim both further deterring their countries from enacting laws which have extraterritorial effect, and also further reducing uh, the administrative burden on EU persons um, of you know, complying with the blocking statute. Um, and another EU initiative which uh, sought to bolster EU-Iran trade following the US withdrawal from the JCPOA uh, was the setup of InStex, that's the instrument in support of trade exchanges. That was founded a couple of years ago in 2019 by various EU states, including the EU, uh, so including the UK at the time. With the stated aim of Instex, INSTEX being to facilitate legitimate trade focusing on humanitarian trade with Iran in light of the various challenges faced by European market participants um, by operating as a clearinghouse that facilitates the exchange of payment transactions between Europe and Iran however it appears that INSTEX has had a very limited track record so far of completed transactions um, so the um, so, I'm boiled down whilst the uh the eu blocking statute potentially puts eu persons in an invidious position i.e they risk either the imposition of secretary sanctions if they do not refrain from dealing with that iran in a manner of which iraq uh, ofac in in uh, in the us disapproves and risk in principle commission of offenses in europe if they do refrain for that reason Um it would seem including because because of the crucial importance of access to the US market uh, upon which many European businesses rely uh, and which uh, are often found enforced in compliance undertakings and warranties that many such businesses See the potential risk of the imposition of secondary sanctions by the US as too great, too great a risk to run, particularly in the very, uh, in the context of a very limited, uh, negligible blocking statute enforcement to the EU.
1: So you mentioned that the blocking statute puts EU persons in a tough position of having to comply with the conflicting set of regulations. In your opinion, did the US's withdrawal from the JCPOA appear to impact the decision of European companies? to engage in more or less business
2: transactions with Iranian companies? Well, Brittany, the the US withdrawal from the JCPOA certainly poured a good deal of cold water on European companies' attempts to, and consideration of, re-engaging in trade with Iran. So so companies who had spent two, three years exploring uh, such re-engagement, broadly speaking, put that on hold, certainly to the extent uh, the certainty to the extent that the companies had connections to or had significant trade with the U.S., which, of course, applies to a very significant proportion of European companies. And the extension of blocking statute to U.S.-Iranian sanctions, whilst, it was, as I've said, it has potentially put European companies in a position of legal conflict, it doesn't seem to have resulted in a significant re-engagement with Iranian trade. Um, and, and looking forward, depending on whether uh, the US-Biden administration's attitude and stance towards Iran softens or hardens, we will likely either see the importance of the EU EU's blocking statutes sort of wither on the vine, as it were, or uh, conversely, we'll see the extent to which the EU does intend to seek to take a more proactive role in sharing its disapproval of such extraterritorial laws which seek to prejudice the political stance of the EU. If the latter occurs, resulting in the EU taking a firmer line with uh, people and companies within the EU, uh, that will lead to us seeing more tension within the EU and European company level, uh, increased complexity for European companies looking to balance um, the competing priorities, uh, and uh, will 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 likely result in um, you know, more significant issues for EU uh, companies and persons to negotiate and navigate.
1: I wanted to follow up with what Dan just mentioned with Jonathan. So, Jonathan, Dan just discussed the EU blocking statute. Do you think this statute has impacted the U.S.'s JCPOA negotiations to a degree? For example, does the blocking statute make U.S. secondary sanctions a less effective negotiation tool?
0: Um, I think to a limited degree, the answer is yes, but only to a very limited degree, meaning um, what matters from the perspective of practical impact on any negotiations with Iran about any substantive issue is simply how much trade is happening. Uh, the legal, you know, the sort of technical legal analysis that we might discuss here isn't really motivating that. What's motivating that is simply uh, the top line answer to the question uh, has trade with Iran uh, returned or not? Is there, you know Are sanctions causing it to dry up? And I think um, notwithstanding the EU blocking regulation and the UK blocking position, um, the practical reality is that, as, as Dan noted, European companies became very reluctant to do business with Iran once the US uh, exited the JCPOA. So, in terms of whether trade with Iran was happening, it was not happening, and US sanctions are the reason it was not happening. Therefore, I think in terms of impact on the negotiating position of the U.S., the blocking regulation and, and, and restrictions of that type probably have a pretty limited practical relevance because they don't impede the U.S. sanctions in practice from having most of the effect the U.S. is seeking. And I think you see that also in the example Dan provided about Instax, the, the European uh, payment clearing house that was intended to allow Payments uh, for Iran transactions to occur that that wouldn't in, in involve the U.S. financial system; it wouldn't be within U.S. jurisdiction. But not many transactions were in fact completed via Instax. So y- the Europeans established the mechanism, but the practical benefit to Iran was, I think, very limited. And so, Dan, if, unless you had any closing observations, I was just going to to wrap up with with a kind of a recap of of what some of the the, the macro issues are here. No, I
2: don't think so, Jonathan. No.
0: Okay. Sort of tie this up. I think the the theme that runs through both the discussion of the tactical legal issues we, uh, we were reviewing uh, in terms of what sanctions might or might not be lifted as part of the new deal or restoration of the deal, and then the EU blocking discussion, is that the deal I don't think is viewed by anyone as a stable long-term arrangement. Meaning, the Biden administration views a resumption of participation in the JCPOA as ideally a prelude to a phase two deal that would be broader and offer more sanctions relief in exchange for a a broader and more substantial set of restrictions on Iranian behavior in other areas. Um, And I think Iran uh, also um, has not viewed the sanctions relief it got in the JCPOA perhaps as having lived up to uh, what had been expected. And the root cause of of both uh, problems is that As I said at the top of this uh, discussion, the deal's basic architecture was always limited sanctions relief- in exchange for Iranian concessions limited to the nuclear program. But what that means is that because the sanctions relief is limited, enough sanctions remain in effect- such that trade with Iran is not really unimpeded and most trade with Iran does not resume. And because the Iranian concessions are limited to the nuclear program- there's a continuing set of, uh, or potential for a continuing set of events which are very provocative and which, which undermine U.S. political support for continued U.S. participation in, in the deal. So it's difficult to have continued sanctions relief in effect on a political level, perhaps, if there are controversies over Yemen, Syria, Lebanon, and any number of other issues. And so um, my, my, my view from 30,000 feet would be that while there may be a resumption uh, of the JCPOA in the short term, uh, getting there is uh, more complex than than might have been envisioned, and nobody really wants to be in that world. I think um, uh, the desire of everybody at the table would, would be for for a deal that is uh, substantially more robust and broader and, and uh, covers more topics and offers more sanctions relief. And so I think there'll continue to be uh, developments and, and a potential for flux in this area and, it, and it's an area that definitely bears watching. Um, for uh, for business, the question would be: At what point might business be sufficiently confident that there's a stable sanctions accommodation with Iran, so that people are willing to to, to, uh, to invest money to make uh, potential long-term arrangements? And 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 likewise, I think uh, a simple black-letter resumption of U.S. participation in the JCPOA without more probably wouldn't lead to the type of large-scale uh, resumption of international business interest in Iran. That would be one of the benefits Iran would be seeking, because um, there would be a concern about how temporary any resumption of U.S. participation is likely to be, how stable any, any deal is. And so, the, uh, the law in, so in the long term, uh, there probably needs to be something uh, going well beyond the JCPOA if it's going to uh, have the effects that, that, that everyone seems to, seems to be desiring. I'd like to thank Dan Hudson again for joining us uh, on this podcast. Dan, if you can provide your contact information, where can people find you?
2: Sure, Dan. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, I can be reached on my email, which is daniel.hudson at hsf.com. I'm sure we'll provide those details um, uh, together with this, uh, this podcast.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Designated, a Herbert Smith Freehills podcast on sanctions law. If you like what you heard, please leave a five-star review on iTunes and hit the subscribe button. We will have great new guests and discussions on each new episode, and we don't want you to miss out. As a reminder, this podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. If you would like to learn more about sanctions law or have any other questions, please feel free to email me at Jonathan, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N dot cross, C-R-O-S-S, at H-S-F dot com. Thank you.